Section 45 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. Some Sonnets of Sir Philip Sidney. Sidney's sonnets, I speak of the best of them, are among the very best of their sort. They fall below the plain moral dignity, the sanctity, and yet modest spirit of self-approval of Milton in his compositions of a similar structure. They are, in truth, what Milton, censuring the Arcadia, says of that work, to which they are of a sort of aftertune or application, vain and amatorious enough. Yet the things in their kind, as he confessed to be true of the romance, may be full of worth and wit they savour of the courtier it must be allowed and not of the commonwealth's man but milton was a courtier when he wrote the masque at ludlow castle and was still more a courtier when he composed the arcades when the national struggle was to begin he becomingly cast these vanities behind him and if the order of time had thrown sir philip upon the crisis which preceded the revolution there is no reason why he should not have acted the same part in that emergency which was glorified the name of a later sydney he did not want for plainness or boldness of spirit his letter on the french match may testify he could speak his mind freely to princes the times did not call him to the scaffold the sonnets which we oftenest call to mind of milton were the compositions of his maturest years those of sydney which I am about to produce, were written in the very heyday of his blood. They are stuck full of amorous fancies, far-fetched conceits, befitting his occupation, for true love thinks no labour to send out thoughts upon the vast and more than Indian voyages, to bring home rich pearls, outlandish wealth, gums, jewels, spicery, to sacrifice in self-deprecating similitudes, as shadows of true amiabilities in the beloved we must be lovers or at least the cooling touch of time the circumprycordio frigus must not have so damped our faculties as to take away our recollections that we were once so before we can duly appreciate the glorious vanities and graceful hyperboles of the passion the images which lie before our feet though by some accounted the only natural, are least natural for the high Sydneyan love to express its fancies by. They may serve for the loves of Tibullus, or the dear author of the schoolmistress, for passions that creep and whine in elegies and pastoral ballads. I'm sure Milton never loved at this rate. I'm afraid some of his addresses, ad Leonorum, I mean, have rather erred on the father side, and that the poet came not much short of a religious indecorum when he could thus apostrophize a singing girl angelus unicuque suus sic credite gentes obtigit aetherius ales ab ordinibus quid mirum leonora tibi si gloria maior nam tua presentem vox sonnet ipsa deum Aut Deus, aut vacui, set, mens tertia coli, per tua secreto gutera serpet agens, 
serpit agens, facilique docet mortilia corda, sensim immortali, orses sera possessanor, quod si consta quidem deus est, per constarque fusus, in te una loquitur, caetera mutus habet. This is loving in a strange fashion, and it requires some candour of construction, beside the slight darkening of a dead language, to cast a veil over the ugly appearance of something very like blasphemy in the last two verses. I think the lover would have been staggered if he had gone about to express the same thought in English. I am sure Sidney has no nights like this. His extravaganzas do not strike at the sky, though he takes leave to adopt the pale Diane into a fellowship with his mortal passions. 1. With how sad steps, O moon, thou climb'st the skies, how silently, and with how wan her face, what may it be that even in heavenly place that busy archer his sharp arrows tries? Sure, if that long with love acquainted eyes can judge of love, thou feel'st a lover's case. I read it in thy looks, thy languish, grace, to me that feel the like thy state decries. Then, even a fellowship, O moon, tell me, is constant love deemed there but want of wit? Are beauties there as proud as here they be? Do they above love to be loved, and yet those lovers scorn who that love doth possess? Do they call virtue there ungratefulness? The last line of this poem is a little obscured by transposition. He means, do they call ungratefulness there a virtue? 2. Come, sleep, O oh, sleep with certain knot of peace, the baiting place of wit, the balm of woe, the poor man's wealth, the prisoner's release, the indifferent judge between the high and low, with shield of proof shield me from out the press, of those fierce darts despair at me doth throw. Oh, make in me those civil wars to cease. I will good tribute pay, if thou do so. Take thou of me sweet pillows, sweetest bed, a chamber deaf to noise and blind to light, a rosy garland and a weary head. And if these things, as being thine by right, move not thy heavy grace, Thou shalt in me, livelier than elsewhere, Stella's image see. 3. The curious wits, seeing dull pensiveness, Bewray itself in my long-settled eyes, Whence those same fumes of melancholy rise, With idle pains, and missing aim do guess. Some that know how my spring I did address, Deem that my muse some fruit of knowledge plies. Others, because the prince my service tries, Think that I think state errors to redress. But harder judges judge, ambitions rage, Scourge of itself, still climbing slippery place, Holds my young brain captived in golden cage. O oh, fools, or overwise, alas, the race, of all my thoughts hath neither stop nor start, but only Stella's eyes and Stella's heart. 4. 
because i oft in dark abstracted guise seem most alone in greatest company with dearth of words or answers quite awry to them that would make speech of speech arise they deem and of their doom the rumour flies that poison foul of bubbling pride doth lie so in my swelling breast that only i fawn in myself and others do despise yet pride i think doth not my soul possess which looks too oft in his unflattering glass but one worse fault ambition i confess that makes me oft my best friends overpass unseen unheard while thought to highest place bends all his powers even unto stella's grace five having this day my horse my hand my lance guided so well that i obtained the prize both by the judgment of the english eyes and of some scent from that sweet enemy france horsemen my skill in horsemanship advance townsfolk my strength a daintier judge applies his praise to slight which from good use doth rise some lucky wits impute it but to chance others because of both sides i do take my blood from them who did excel in this think nature me a man of arms did make how far they shot awry the true cause is stella looked on and from her heavenly face sent forth the beams which made so fair my race six in martial sports i had my cunning tried and yet to break more staves did me address while with the people shouts i must confess youth luck and praise even filled my veins with pride when cupid having me his slave decried in mars's livery prancing in the press what now sir fool said he i would no less look here i say i looked and stella spied who hard by made a window send forth light my heart then quaked then dazzled were mine eyes one hand forgot to rule the other to fight nor trumpet sound i heard nor friendly cries my foe came on and beat the air for me till that her blush made me my shame to see seven no more my dear no more these counsels try oh give my passions leave to run their race let fortune lay on me her worst disgrace let folk o'ercharged with brain against me cry let clouds bedim my face break in mine eye let me no steps but of lost labour trace let all the earth with scorn recount my case but do not will me from my love to fly i do not envy aristotle's wit nor do i aspire to caesar's bleeding fame nor aught do care though some above me sit nor hope nor wish another course to frame but that which once may win thy cruel heart thou art my wit and thou my virtue art eight love still a boy and oft a wanton is schooled only by his mother's tender eye what wonder then if he his lesson miss 
when for so soft a rod dear play he try and yet my star because a sugared kiss in sport i sucked while she asleep did lie doth lower nay chide nay threat for only this sweet it was saucy love not humble i but no scuses serves she makes her wrath appear in beauty's throne see now who dares come near those scarlet judges threatening bloody pain o heavenly fool thy most kiss-worthy face anger invests with such a lovely grace that anger's self i needs must kiss again nine i never drank of agonippi well nor ever did in shade of tempe sit and muses scorn with vulgar brains to dwell poor layman i for sacred rites unfit some do i bear of poet's fury tell but god what what not what they mean by it and this i swear by blackest brook of hell i am no pick-purse of another's wit how falls it then that with so smooth an ease my thoughts i speak and what i speak doth flow in verse and that my verse best wits doth please guess me the cause what is it thus fie no or so much less how then sure thus it is my lips are sweet inspired with stella's kiss ten of all the kings that ever here did reign edward named forth as first in praise i name not for his fair outside nor well-lined brain although less gifts imp feathers oft on fane nor that he could young wise wise valiant frame his sire's revenge joined with a kingdom's gain and gained by mars could yet mad mars so tame that balance weighed what sword did late obtain nor that he made the fleur de luce so frayed though strongly hedged of bloody lion's paws that witty lewis to him a tribute paid nor this nor that nor any such small cause but only for this worthy knight durst prove to lose his crown rather than fail his love eleven o happy thames that didst my stella bear i saw thyself with many a smiling line upon thy cheerful face joy's livery wear while those fair planets on thy streams did shine the boat for joy could not to dance forbear while wanton winds with beauty so divine ravished stayed not till in her golden hair they did themselves o oh, sweetest prison twine and fain those ales youth there would their stay have made but forced by nature still to fly first did with puffing kiss those locks display she so dishevelled blushed from window i with sight thereof cried out o oh, fair disgrace let honour's self to thee grant highest place twelve highway since you my chief parnassus be and that my muse to some ears not unsweet tempers her words to trampling horses feet more soft than to a chamber melody now blessed you bear onward blessed me to her where i my heart safe left shall meet my muse 
and i must you of duty greet with thanks and wishes wishing thankfully be you still fair honoured by public heed by no encroachment wronged nor time forgot nor blamed for blood nor shamed for sinful deed and that you know i envy you no lot of highest wish i wish you so much bliss hundreds of years you stella's feet may kiss of the foregoing the first the second and the last sonnet are my favourites but the general beauty of them all is that they are so perfectly characteristical the spirit of learning and chivalry of which union spencer has entitled sydney to have been the president shines through them i confess i can see nothing of the jejune or frigid in them much less of the stiff and cumbrous which i have sometimes heard objected to the arcadia the verse runs off swiftly and gallantly it might have been tuned to the trumpet or tempered as himself expresses it to trampling horses feet they abound in felicitous phrases o heavenly fool thy most kissworthy face eighth sonnet sweet pillows sweetest bed a chamber deaf to noise and blind to light a rosy garland and a weary head second sonnet that sweet enemy france fifth sonnet but they are not rich in words only in vague and unlocalised feelings the failing too much of some poetry of the present day they are full material and circumstantiated time and place appropriates every one of them it is not a fever of passion wasting upon itself a thin diet of dainty words but a transcendent passion pervading and illuminating action pursuits studies feats of arms the opinions of contemporaries and his judgment of them an historical thread runs through them which affixes a date to them marks the when and where they were written i have dwelt the longer upon what i conceive the merit of these poems because i have been hurt by the wantonness i wish i could treat it by a gentler name with which w h takes every occasion of insulting the memory of sir philip sidney but the decisions of the author of table talk etc most profound and subtle where they are as for the most part just are more safely to be relied upon on subjects and authors he has a partiality for than on such as he has conceived an accidental prejudice against milton wrote sonnets and was a king hater and it was a congenial perhaps to sacrifice a courtier to a patriot but i was unwilling to lose a fine idea from my mind the noble images passions sentiments and poetical delicacies of character scattered all over the arcadia spite of some stiffness and encumberment justify to me the character which his contemporaries have left us of the writer i cannot think with the critic that sir philip sidney was that opprobrious thing which a foolish nobleman in his insolent hostility chose to term him i call to mind the epitaph made on him to guide me to juster thoughts of him and i repose upon the beautiful lines in the friend's passion for his astrophel printed with the elegies of spencer and others you knew who knew not astrophel that i should live to say i knew and have not in possession still things known permit me to renew of him you know his merit such i cannot say you hear too much
Within these woods of Arcady he chief delight and pleasure took, and on the mountain Parthony, upon the crystal liquid brook, the muses met him every day, and taught him sing to write and say. When he descended down the mount, his personage seemed most divine a thousand graces one might count upon his lovely cheerful eyne to hear him speak and sweetly smile you were in paradise the while a sweet attractive kind of grace a full assurance given by looks continual comfort in a face the lineaments of gospel books i trow that countenance cannot lie whose thoughts are legible in the eye above all others this is he which erst approved in his song that love and honour might agree and that pure love will do me wrong sweet saints it is no sin or blame to love a man of virtuous name did never love so sweetly breathe in any mortal breast before did never muse inspire beneath a poet's brain with finer store he wrote of love with high conceit and beauty reared above her height or let any one read the deeper sorrows grief running into rage in the poem the last in the collection accompanying the above from which internal testimony i believe to be lord brooks beginning with silence augmenteth grief and then seriously ask himself whether the subject of such absorbing and confounding regrets could have been that thing which lord oxford termed him End of section forty five